Hello again. I'm Anne-Marie Eigner, your host for this podcast, Truck Tales, which is a production of Food Truck Ventures and is produced by Ryan Hart and Rachel Gallagher. And we have some interesting stories from around the country about food trucks today. And we now have the pleasure of speaking with um, someone who's been all over Food Network in the past few years, but has an interesting story to tell as well um, in that how he got to where he is today. We're speaking with um, Chef Zuri Resendez. Am I, am I close on the pronunciation? Um, who has a new food truck in Denver, but I think his story about how he got to his food truck is actually kind of interesting. So um, Zuri, tell us, Chef, um, how, how you got where you are. I think the story of you actually being thrown into um, a, a night at, with your I think your former mentor, Elise, um, is uh, one of the most interesting. So uh, tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are now. So perfect. Yeah. So let's talk about the name of the food truck, right? Luchador. I think luchador is a strong word for everything. And that's, a, that's how I compare my chef career as a luchador. Like you will give everything on the ring. And I, I left everything on every kitchen that I work. And, um, and yeah, like, I started working as any uh, immigrant teenager, really young. Uh, I wanted like a cell phone. I wanted a car. I want nice clothing. And the first options were the kitchens. And uh, I found myself that the kitchen was a really easy job for me because I helped my mom, my grandma, my aunts back in Mexico. So when I jumped in the kitchens, I, I already knew what I was doing. And it was so easy for me, but just like, um, just like every teenager, I'm really, I was really hyper even to this moment. And I got bored on those kitchens. It was just one regular menu every single day, one dish every single now, day. Now, was this in, in, in Mexico or was this was in Denver no, already? I moved here in 2002 and I was 15. Wow. Yes. And, um, and, I, and I realized that I wanted to be in the kitchens, but not any kitchen. So I worked my way up until I couldn't, until I could find a nice kitchen that I really feel proud of working. Tell, tell us a little bit about the story when, uh, when you interviewed at Panzano uh, in 2012 and uh, Chef Elise Wiggins, who obviously became a very important part of your life, uh, stayed important, uh, threw you into the fire that, that night, your first day. Yeah, so uh, I went for an interview thinking, uh, I wanna dress nice, I, I wanna talk to the chef, I want to tell her who I am. And I show up that day and they're like, hi, how you doing? Welcome. I, I just remember walking to the hall because it's in a hotel, to the whole hotel area. And then we went to the basement and they're like, okay, there's a chef coach right there. Uh, grab one and then grab an apron. And I asked, I was like, well, I'm here for an interview. They're like, no, you're here for it. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean a stash? You're like, yeah, you want to be working on, gr uh, on grill or pasta. And I just remember my uh, my mind went like blind for that moment. I was like, okay, okay, can you, can I borrow a menu, please? Can I can I use a menu? I, I grab a menu real quick. I remember locking myself in the restroom, studying the menu. Like, okay, 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 and then I'm like, okay, I, I'm ready. Like, I I have this. Like, I I can do this. I jump in the kitchen. I start working. It was like it was like this is like a busy Friday night, right? It, it's a Friday night. I remember the girl, the girl special that night it was a porterhouse over mash, over garlic mashed potatoes, grilled asparagus with a porcini demi glaze. That was the special that night. And how did you do? 
I did, I guess I did great. It's like I told the guys, like the, the time happened so fast that like at 10 p.m. I was like, dude, do you think I'm going to get hired? And like, they're like, dude, you hired, man. You're here to clean. You're going to stay here. You're not leaving nowhere. I was like, wow. hey, perfect. I love that. Good for you. So, um, I mean, and we'll get to the advice that you might have for other young, you know, 15-year-olds coming up or 20-year-olds coming up. But after that, you um, stayed with the chef, Chef Wiggins, right? Yeah. So uh, I started as a line cook. I became her supervisor. After that, I became her sous chef. And um, when she decided to open her own restaurant, she offered me the, the job as executive sous chef to open the restaurant with her. And you did that? I did that. Uh, chef Elise is a, a great, great chef that I felt like I, I still had so much to learn from her that every time she came back from Italy, she got something new to teach that I really wanted to be with her opening her own restaurant. Because as a chef, whenever you work in some places, sometimes you got some rules, right? But if you open in your own restaurant, that means that that's you, that's your sense. You're gonna, you're gonna show who you are as a chef, really. And that's what she did, and I learned all of that from her. That's amazing. So how, tell, uh, tell us how you wound up with Luchador. Uh, Luchador, so after COVID, things start, uh, things start changing a little bit. Uh, it's really hard to get uh, people that really wants to work with passion and ethic nowadays. I think they discover how it feels to be in a, in a nice pool with a, with a glass glass of wine or glass of beer. Well, that's and, everybody's dream, of course. And the kitchen is hard. You have to really be there, have the passion, have the time in order to make it happen, especially in the kind of kitchens that we work. And uh, so it was really getting really hard uh, to manage the restaurants and stuff. And um, I felt like, all right, I've been in the industry for how long? I think it's time for me to make that move. And if I don't make that move right now, it's not gonna be, it's not gonna happen. So I was like, okay, fine dining. I don't have, um, I don't have the money that it takes to find, to open a fine dining, which is my dream. But I do have the, the, the kind of budget to open a food truck, which is also my dream to go back to my roots and cook something because I never cooked Mexican professionally. And um, that's how Luchador came. And then I was like, I was thinking for a strong name, for a really strong name. And I was like, oh, Luchador, like Luchador, I'm from Mexico City. Uh, my dad used to be a wrestler back in the 90s. And I was like, all right, this is it. I'm going to open Luchador. Uh, so we're talking with uh, Chef Zuri from Denver, um, who runs the food truck Luchador. And actually, before you even described it, I thought of Luchador, the name Luchador, you're right. It's very strong. It's very, it makes a statement. What, what's your menu, chef? All right, so on my menu, I, I start really classic. I have the classic quesabiria, which is really trendy right now, but I make it with a, a beef chicks. So it's low braised beef chicks, quesabiria. I have my uh, skirt steak, asada taco. I have my Mexico City pastor taco. And then I have a platter. That, uh, that platter reminds me back when I come from school, like all the all like crispy potatoes, black beans, melted cheese, and then birria right on top of it with juice, guacamole, and cilantro. And and just in case people are having a, a trouble because you have a very strong accent, um, if they want to actually see your menu, what's the best place? The Luch Luchador has a website? You can go to, to my Instagram, luchador.foodtruck, and then you will be able to see luchador that food truck. That food truck. Okay. 
So um, I, give, give me a couple of tips that you would give to young up and coming chefs. Clearly get experience, which you've got plenty of. Uh, find a mentor, which sounds like that that might be important. Find a mentor, find a nice and fun place to stay. Stay more than one year in that place. Because I feel like as a chef or anybody, it takes more than one year to learn. Like just when it happens one year, it's like you feel comfortable. Like, oh, I got this. But that doesn't mean that you know it. That just means that you're getting comfortable. So really spend more than one year in one place. Nowadays, people just spending little months, two months in these places and they think they got it. But no, I'll suggest that like be a sponge, absorb everything you can from the best. Always hang out with the best. And when you think you know it all, remember that you don't. Exactly. You know, and especially in this industry, you never stop learning. Think about it. There's thousands of guys on your back, younger, hungry, who wants to be on the light spot. So you always have to be evolving in order to keep your spot. Got it. We're speaking with Chef Zuri Rezendez, uh, who um, runs the... Uh, now famous, we hope, uh, Luchador Food Truck based in Denver. Um, and again, tell people one more time how they can find you on Instagram. Uh, Luchador Dad Food Truck. Got it. Thanks, Chef. Appreciate it. I hope you make it to Denver. Thank you. You're listening to Truck Tales, produced by Food Truck Ventures. This podcast is brought to you by Roll by ADP, small business payroll made easy. Well, everybody's been hearing us uh, doing interviews recently with communities that are actually starting to get the whole food truck concept and that it's what the public really wants. Um, and we try to capture as many good news stories as we can. But then we come across these stories, like the one out of Chicago, which obviously happened a couple of years ago, but and I didn't realize it, but uh, it brought me to... Um, another wonderful person from the Institute for Justice who I will introduce in a moment, but Chicago just, it baffles me what they're doing. I think it baffles our, our guest as well. Um, they, a couple of years ago, uh, um, passed a regulation that required all food trucks to have GPS installed on their trucks and they couldn't get a new permit if they didn't have the GPS so that they could track them to make sure that they weren't too close to a brick and mortar. So I hope I got that description somewhat right. I'm about to introduce um, Robert Fromer, who is uh, a senior attorney with the Institute for Justice and heads up the Project for the Fourth Amendment, which is a mouthful, but I'm fascinated by it. And you took on Chicago, you've taken on Baltimore. You're not having a whole lot of luck, Robert, but tell us a little bit about what you did and where it stands now and what the project for the Fourth Amendment is. Sure, and thank you for having me. Uh, as you said, I'm Rob Frober. I'm a senior attorney at IJ at the Institute for Justice. Uh, and I actually wear two hats that are very applicable to this conversation. Uh, for many years, I ran IJ's National Street Vending Initiative and I'm still heavily involved in that. And now I run our project on the Fourth Amendment. And the reason I got really interested in the Fourth Amendment and the search and seizure issues that I litigate mostly now is the Chicago food truck case. And your description was absolutely right. 
the city of Chicago had a law in place that said you couldn't be within 200 feet of a restaurant if you're a food truck. And then uh, they decided to force all food trucks to have GPS units on them so they could monitor for any illegal competition. Unsurprisingly, you know, these, this pair of regulations decimated the industry. And in fact, in the uh, years when I was litigating this, challenging this rule under the Illinois Constitution, saying it violated the search and seizure rules of the Illinois Constitution. Explain that, explain that just a bit for uh, those who don't get it. Sure. Well, when you have a GPS unit attached to your truck, uh, it's like what my client said, it felt like an ankle bracelet. And because that's what it was for. It was just like if you were been convicted of a crime and they wanted to put a monitor on you so they could make sure you weren't going in where you're supposed to. That's what they were doing to every single food truck in Chicago. They were telling them, look, if you want to work, you have to allow us to do 24-7 monitoring of where you are and you don't, or you don't have to get a warrant. We don't have to get anything. And if you don't let us do that, we're not going to let you work. And so and does we, that does that also apply to restaurants, brick and mortar? Oh, of, course, of course not. Of course not. Because the whole point of the regulation was not for any actual health or safety purpose. What it really was for was, again, to uh, give the city of Chicago a way if a restaurateur calls up and says, hey, there's some illegal competition going on here to go into their database and see if one of those food trucks was too close. And then they could go after them and fine them like $2,000, you know. It's also baffling, we've also, you know, they wouldn't, if a pizza parlor wanted to open next to a pizza parlor, a brick and mortar, that would be fine. Absolutely. But if a a truck that serves pizza wants to operate, not that they can really want, have to or want to operate within a couple of hundred feet of a a pizza parlor, but that's a gif, doesn't sound to me like a whole different set of regulations, which is probably what you, what you challenged, correct? It absolutely is. That's right. We we pointed out that the 200-foot rule really only existed for one reason only, to squelch competition uh, in order to benefit, you know, well-heeled restaurateurs. And the GPS device was a, an illegal search because it didn't have a valid purpose. Its only purpose was, again, to help the city suppress competition, which isn't a legitimate government reason. So how, how, you say it decimated the industry. Yeah. It, in, it, what, in what ways? It, well, when this all got passed, when, they, when the city of Chicago enacted all this, they were saying, they were crowing. They were like, oh, we're going to help the industry. We understand that customers want this uh, new food, this new way of getting food, and we're going to help the industry grow. You know what happened? Because between the 200-foot rule, another rule called the two-hour rule that let people men trucks could only stay in one place for two hours and this gps the number of trucks in chicago actually crashed it went down oh i want i can't remember precise percentage but i want to say it was like a good at least 30 or 40 percent since that since they enacted that rule that was these rules that were supposed to help the industry instead well, of how, so how do they how do they respond how do they respond to that has the public responded have the have the have public sector responded? Well, the public sector fought tooth and nail uh, on behalf of the restaurants. They took this all the way up to the Illinois Supreme Court uh, to argue that, uh, really what they argued is that, oh, 
protectionism is totally legitimate. You know, we're the city and we can decide what business, we're trying to just balance the interests of the two uh, sectors. I don't even know what the word balance there means. I kept asking and what it really meant is play favorites. Uh, so you, and, and, and they won. Yeah, unfortunately they won. Uh, the city, uh, the Illinois Supreme Court, you know, even though they had really good case law saying that you can't legislate to just to protect one business from competition from another, they said, oh, well, that's all old, old case law. And, you know, we have to give cities flexibility uh, to deal with the problems. You know, who are we, you know, measly court dealing with people's constitutional rights to tell the city of Chicago what to do? Just shocking, shockingly sad, actually. We're speaking to Robert Fromer, a senior attorney for the Institute for Justice, which has become my, my go-to place for, uh, for trying to protect um, and, and um, lobby, really, for food trucks. There really is no art and a whole lot of others doing that. Robert, very quickly, tell me a little bit about or tell us a little bit about the project for the Fourth Amendment. Where do you go from here? Well, the project for the Fourth Amendment, as I was mentioning, started with our Chicago food truck work and kept on going. And we realized that through my litigation and I started seeing what courts were doing with people's search and seizure rights, that there really needed to be a concerted effort to better protect people's right to be secure in their persons and their property. And so we sat down, we sat and thought real hard about like, how can we add value? How can we come up with an original position and that's what the project of the fourth, uh, on the Fourth Amendment is about. It's about uh, getting courts to take our rights to be secure, free from unreasonable searches and seizures, seriously. And that means getting rid of these free-floating exceptions like what was happening in Chicago and what's happening in Boston, where I understand uh, food trucks there have to have GPS units too. There's no... What we're trying to do there is get the courts to say, look, one, you can only legislate in this area if you have a really good reason. And two, you need to be very precise in what you do. You can't have this kind of 24-7 monitoring of food trucks uh, just simply to suppress competition. That's, it's not just against the American way, it's unconstitutional. Well, I'm in Boston and I did not know that food trucks uh, also had to have a GPS, so I'm on it. But if somebody wants to get back to you, what's the best way for them to reach you? The easiest way to reach us at the Institute for Justice is to go to our website, www.ij.org. There you can find web pages, not just for the National Street Vending Initiative, if you have a food truck thing you're interested in, but if you have a search and seizure issue that you uh, think you, we should know about, we also have our project on the Fourth Amendment page, and you can reach out to us that way as well. Thank you for taking the time. This is actually very troubling. Um, I, something tells me that I will be in, I will be back in touch with you, but please please do stay in touch with us as well. Absolutely, my pleasure. Thank you, Robert. This podcast is brought to you by Roll by ADP. Payroll as easy as texting. Uh, every once in a while, we uh, come across a truck with them. Um, not only an interesting history, but also uh, some interesting menu. Um, and we're speaking now to Marcus and Samantha Brown with their daughter, Ella, um, who joins us from um, upstate New York, 
with their truck. I, I want to let you guys tell the story. So why don't I wait and let you answer the name of the truck, how you named it, um, and what your um, what your story is, what your presentation, how what makes you different. Yeah. So we uh, our business is called Ella's Acres. We we have a little homestead on two and a half acres. Um, yeah. So we uh, it, it, let, let's say where let's say where. Yeah. So we're we're located in Waverly, New York, um, upstate, kind of by Ithaca, New York, um, just outside of Ithaca. So. Um, yeah, we're, uh, all farm to table. Um, I mean, we, like I said, we started off as a, uh, small homestead. Um, we had a small bakery and kind of just throughout doing the, the farmer's markets, we've just gradually kind of worked our way up. I've always been interested in food. Our, our whole background is food. I've worked in a professional kitchen for a long time. Um, yeah, I just, uh, I, I don't know. Our, our whole thing is food. We like to, to grow food. We, we got a huge garden here. Um, I mean, we're, we're, we're just, that's kind of our life. If we're, uh, we're, we're going to enjoy other people's food when we're not, when we're not serving people food, we're out. I mean, yeah, it's, it's kind of like our, our whole thing. I don't uh, know whether we, I don't know whether we mentioned the name of the truck, but why don't you do that? Uh, Ella's Acres is the name of the truck. Ella's Acres Farm to Table Food Truck. Uh, Ella, how do you feel about being uh, having a food truck named after you? I like it. Do, do your are your friend do your friends are your friends impressed? Do they say, "Whoa, you've got a whole food truck named after you"? Yeah, pretty cool. Very, very cool. So, um, we do a lot of interviews. Um, I've been working with them, um, or we've been working with food trucks for almost fifteen years, um, and there are other farm to table trucks or uh, menus for sure. Um, especially since COVID, um, uh, what makes you different, Marcus or Ella or, or any of you or Samantha? Um, I mean, we, we, we try to stand out, at least in our area. Um, we have a rotating menu. So, I mean, it's whatever, like we literally, we'll, we'll, we go to the farmer's market on Monday, we source what we're going to use for that week. And we kind of come up with a menu on the fly. So we're like, what can we, what's in season right now? Is it tomatoes or our potatoes in, or what kind of green is in? And then we build, so we go and we source and then we build a menu after that. So it's like, it's not like the typical, I, I put together a menu, this is what I'm going to do. And then I go and buy the ingredients for it. It's kind of reverse. So the, ingre we, the ingredients basically determine your menu. Yeah. yeah well, talk, talk about, cause I know tomatoes, my tomatoes are not, but, uh, tomatoes yeah. in general are in season right now. Um, and yeah. you have something called the humble tomato. Yeah. So that's a sandwich we did last week. Um, we sourced these great tomatoes from uh, muddy fingers farms. They're, um, they're just another, uh, local farm around here. Um, yeah, I mean, just, just really, really good looking tomatoes, uh, we're getting from them and there's just, it's just a way to, to showcase. I just like a simple tomato, mayonnaise, salt and pepper on, on, on a, toasted piece of bread. I, I personally like that. I've never seen anybody else do it. So, um, yeah, we thought like, let's just the humble tomato, let the tomato speak for itself. Little salt, salt little salt and pepper, salt and pepper, and sourdough fresh, bread. fresh bread. Yum. Sounds delicious. It's and bit, yeah, it's a good one. Sounds yummy. Um, and you, I'm, in fact, I'm inspired. Um, I'm going to copy that. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so also you say you have a garden salad, 
you source all your vegetables locally. Um, yep. Samantha, what, do, what is your role? I do more of like the creating the menu on the computer and I do all of like the financial part of our business. I'm our cashier and I do most of our dessert type items as well. That's a good role though. That's an important <laughs> and very good role. Um, so you say you, you try to be a little different. Um, you started as a bakery, is that correct? Yep. So we, um, yeah, we, we were, we, we make a lot of like just homemade bread. Um, yeah, we had this really good one for a while. We were doing a, fresh local garlic. Um, we call it garlic scallion Asiago. And it was uh, a pull apart bread. So we, we roll it out, um, lots of good cheese and garlic and scallions. And then you, you cut it. It's like a pull apart bread. Uh, mm. it, it was, it was, it was a big one. Yeah. Uh, we, um, we, we tend to do bread in the winter kind of helps keep the house warm too. So yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. So we're, uh, we're going to, we're going to go back to that in the winter time and just, uh, yeah, I mean, just just do that in the winter. It's hard to keep up with all outside. That bread. Well, especially in upstate yeah. New York, for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's super humid, so we've got yeah. It's yeah, it doesn't doesn't so, really work out. So you it's so like, you, you, you get you get very creative, apparently. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so um, it's it, so what? So you operate in some fashion year round. Yes. Yep. So um, we do the farmers markets year round. We do a winter farmers markets. Um, this will be, you know, yeah. It's, how, how do you do that? So you're not really looking for for uh, ingredients from the garden in the winter. Uh, so that's you just focus more on your baked goods. Lots of soups. Yeah, lots of soups. Yeah, that's uh, my fave. Yeah, me too. I, I love, love that's soup. like my favorite time. All, like all year round, actually, I would have a soup oh, yeah. in the mid the middle of a heat wave. So tell um some either one of you uh, tell us how people if they're interested in being in touch with you. What's the or finding out more about uh, your your truck and your uh, system and how you do it and a little bit more about Ella's Acres uh, information how they can find out. Yeah, so we do most of our stuff on Facebook and Instagram. Um, our handle is at Ella's Acres Homestead, and we post our menu there usually like Monday or Tuesday, and then we go to the farmers market Thursday and then do events on the weekends. So it'll be the same menu for. Thursday to Sunday, and then we change based on what we get on Monday, and then put our menu out and kind of go from there. Um, so, yeah. do you have a website? Uh, we don't have like a website. Website. We just you basically use social media. So, it, so your photos. If they want to see more photos, a little bit more about you, they can find you on on Facebook. Yeah, yeah, we put tons of pictures on Facebook and Instagram. Right. Both. We've been yeah. speaking with um, Samantha and Marcus Brown and their daughter, the six-year-old uh, inspiration, Ella, uh, about um, Ella's Acres in upstate New York and Waverly, New York. Thanks for joining us, guys. Um, listen, I, I, I'll stop by if I'm up if I'm up that way. That's for, especially for the soups. Okay. And the, and the bread to dip in the soups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect. Thanks, guys. Thank you. I'm about to, uh, to speak to somebody who I don't think needs any help in sounding great. Uh, Chef Marcus Crawford. Hi, Chef. Hello. How nice are to you? meet you. Nice. I'm great. Uh, <laughs> Chef uh, Chef Marcus uh, it has a couple of food trucks in the New York City, New Jersey area, metro area, um, called Bro Ritos. So let's start by you defining your your experience with food trucking, uh, what your menu is, and then uh, he's going to share some tips on how food truckers can uh, 
uh, do either get more successful um, or if they're struggling or have other uh, issues, he's got some uh, inside information on how things might go a little better. So chefs, let's start with, um, with uh, what is Broritos? Okay, so thanks for the introduction. Uh, to jump into it, Broritos is a concept that we created because um, we wanted to sell burritos um, in New Jersey. Uh, we saw that there was a niche in a market, a demand for it. Uh, there were a ton of taco trucks, but there were no burrito trucks. Um, and then myself and my two partners, we are uh, African-American. So we, you know, we, we're brothers, we're family. So we wanted to mash the word of brothers and burritos together. And that's how we created Burritos. Um, we sell burritos, we sell tacos, we sell quesadillas, nachos. Uh, we have a specialty lobster roll that we do once in a while. Um, and, you know, street corn, uh, madudos, sweet plantains. We have a, a pretty wide range of, of items that we can, that we, we do sell. Uh, uh, how long have you been in menu. business, Chef? So in total, with my first food truck venture, I started in 2014. And we started burritos in 2016. So it's been about eight years altogether. And and apparently doing quite well because um, uh, you've got some uh, great information to share with us on uh, basically on entrepreneurship. I mean, clearly food trucking is an entrepreneur, entrepreneurial <laughs> endeavor. God knows. I'm sure you know that all, all too well. Um, what makes somebody successful? How do you get successful? How do you get into the business? What do you need to know to get into the business? And how do you not only stay in the business, but grow in the business, which apparently you have done? Right. So those are, you know, great questions. I'm probably going to ask you to repeat them. That's okay. <laughs> but, you don't have to, to answer them all. <laughs> but to start, I mean, you know, to be in business, uh, I, I learned about the three Ps, which would be people, product, and process. Uh, those three Ps are, are very, very key, especially when you're, you know, starting out as a food truck. Um, you know, people being yourself, your team, you know, the people that are involved in your, your business, uh, they need to be reliable, they need to be hardworking, they need to understand that, hey, this is something that we're building from the ground up. Um, so there may be some sacrifices that need to be made. Uh, and then you want to talk pro product, right? So that's the food that you're selling. What, what's your menu? How does it differentiate from other people? Uh, how are you going to price it? Uh, how do you market it? How do you brand yourself? Right, you got to put that all into a package. And then lastly, well, I think, I think, and hold that thought just because I want to hear the uh -huh. last one for sure. <laughs> but I think it's interesting that you did some research. You saw there were a lot of taco trucks, but no burrito truck. And I don't know that most people think that far or right. that that hard into what their menu should be. I think they're like. Uh, you know, if they're Italian, they want to do Italian food. Um, uh, but I mean, you're clearly not Hispanic, so you're doing burritos. Um, I think it really doesn't matter what your background is if you choose a. Um, I mean, again, this is my um, my impression. If you choose a menu that that is needed in the market, right, right. So um, we started to to kind of back, I said my first food truck venture, right? My first venture was a soup truck. We did uh, original soup, man. We sold hot soups in the summer along with lobster rolls. Um, in doing so, that two-year window before I opened Burritos, I learned a lot about New Jersey. 
I learned a lot about the promoters, the events I wanted to be at, the ones I didn't want to go to, how to schedule, you know, top to bottom, I understood the business. Um, and then, like I said, I was able to learn and see, hey, there's a bunch of taco trucks out here. But every day you drive by Chipotle, there's a line out the door, right? There's no burrito trucks. What is, what is Chipotle sell? They're made known for burritos. Um, and that was kind of the thinking. Uh, when you're going to get into a business, any venture, whether it's food trucks or anything else, you have to do your research. You have to understand what you're getting yourself into because ultimately you want to put yourself in the best position to succeed. Uh, you don't want to run into uh, a position where you're doing something that someone's already doing better than you're thinking about doing it. Now you're spinning your wheels and you're going backwards. Uh, so yeah, we, me, myself, my team, we definitely put a lot of energy into kind of researching and figuring out what we wanted to do. And, and, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but when you're doing your research, you're looking at menu, right? meaning what, what is needed uh, in, the, in, the, uh, in the market that you're operating in. Uh, what else are you looking for? Does price um, points or any of that, does that matter? So price point is definitely huge. And uh, a tip for, you know, what I saw with food trucks is, you know, you, a lot of food trucks kind of average around the same thing, 10 bucks or more, right? So you can create an item that can fill that need. You don't really want to be on a food truck selling food at five, six bucks, because now you have to do more volume, right? So you, you price point is one of those triggers. Um, Permitting, you have to understand health and fire permits uh, in your state, in the cities that you're, you're serving in. Uh, New Jersey specifically, we don't have a master permit. So every city in town we go to, we have to get a health and fire permit, which is quite annoying, but you, you need to understand that when you're getting into the business. Um, no, wait, so know, does permitting fall under under uh, your third P process? Uh, process? No, process is more about streamlining what we're doing, streamlining the service and creating a process that works not only for myself, but my team, for my employees, so that when we're selling uh, one burrito on one truck, it's the same exact on the second truck. The process of creating that burrito is the same on one truck to the other truck, um, top to bottom. So that's mainly what I mean by process. Uh, and then obviously on the administrative side, you have to have your, you know, handling your scheduling, uh, <laughs> your, your finances, um, as you said, permitting as well, that, that, that is part of it on that side. Uh, but in terms of operations, you, you want something streamlined. You know, you want something that is simple from A to B that can get out the window quickly, efficiently, give good value, give good flavor, and people will be happy with. Well, we're speaking with uh, Chef Marcus Crawford, um, who owns uh, two food trucks in the New York City and uh, New Jersey metro area called Bro Ritos. If somebody wants more information from you, Chef, how can they find you? Uh, so we have a website, www.broritosfoodtruck.com. And we're on oh, wait, Instagram. that's B-R-O-R. Did they have to put the dash into? Uh, no, no dash. It's B-R-O-R-I-T-O-S foodtruck at gmail.com. I'm sorry. <laughs> it is www.broritosfoodtruck.com. We want to get it right. Yeah, www.broritosfoodtruck.com. So B-R-O-R-I-T-O-S foodtruck.com. Um, and then on social media, it's at Broritos F-T, F-T stands for food truck. Um, so that's pretty simple. Well, I, I'm sure you'll be hearing from some folks. I, I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, I think you need to uh, open a, bro, a burrito or a burrito uh, up here in New England somewhere. So we'll be looking for you. Uh, <laughs> thank, thank you so much. Thanks so much for taking the time. No problem. Appreciate it. 
This Truck Tales podcast has been brought to you by Roll by ADP, the payroll app built for small business owners. You can do payroll on your schedule from your phone.